If you were paying attention to the text, you realize that today wasn't one of those texts that you see on the Hallmark card too often. You know, like in the Hallmark, they'll print, love is patient, love is kind. <laughs> but did we read? We read about the wrath of God. So we're going to talk about that tonight as we enter into this season called Lent from now until Easter we are going to be covering the idea of repentance. What does it look like to turn from the things we're doing, the stuff we're believing, and the way we are to turn to a new way of thinking, a new way of doing, and a new way of being? That's what repentance is. It's turning, it's doing a 180. It's it's living for God versus living for ourselves. And tonight, as we introduce this whole idea of repentance, and we spend the next few weeks looking at different aspects of how we repent and how we turn to him, we're going to ask the question, what is wrong with the world? That's the question we're going to ask tonight. What is wrong with the world? Is it loneliness? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it greed? Is it violence? Now, some of you are listening to me, and you're like, I don't know what's wrong with the world, but I'll tell you what's wrong with my world. As I think of my family, and I think of people that I care about, it's really easy to answer. It's drugs. <laughs> See, we struggle to even put our finger on reality itself. Isn't that a problem? We're struggling even to like figure out. We're, we're between the day. We're between the night and the day. We live in, in like a twilight. We're not sure what's even real. And we're not sure even how our emotions should respond to things. Our heads are spinning. You know, on one hand, we say, you know, we should just let people live, do their thing. At the same time, people start living, doing their thing, and what makes them happy. And guess what? It causes all types of chaos in our lives and in their lives as well. So everybody's doing their thing and everybody just seeking their happiness isn't a bridge rated strong enough for the foolishness of humanity. You hear what I'm saying? Just saying, you do you. It's not enough. Because what happens is, the thing that I want to do actually messes up your life. And then it's also messing up my life. And now I can't even work. And now we're all struggling together to make sure you even got food. So everyone is connected to each other. This is a problem. We struggle to believe that anything is true and say, let everybody do their thing. And yet, we're both simultaneously outraged all the time. I mean, if you have Facebook, <laughs> if you have anything like that, or if you just watch the old school, like say you have none of that, and you just watch the 6 o'clock news, right? <laughs> we're outraged all the time. <laughs> everything is wrong. <laughs> And everything has us all wrapped up in knots. And yet at the same time, and this is like a mystery to me, right? We're also apathetic to everything. 
So we're outraged by everything, but we're also like nothing matters. <laughs> everything matters and nothing matters. <laughs> Everybody just do their thing. I don't care. What's the point? What is deeper than that? I've, I, I've given this illustration before, but, you know, it's like, it's like we finally, we dig up some ground, we take the rake, we take the rake, and we rake away the leaves, and what do we find? We find something hard, something smooth, something solid, and we begin to build our lives upon it. Say it's our family. We're going to have family support us. Say it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Now I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to build my life upon this. And then the weight of time and life start pushing down on that cinder block, right? And it starts to crack. And what do we find underneath of it? Sand. And we begin to question again, is anything real? What is the problem with me? What is the problem with this world? I don't know. Is there more? If you keep digging, will there be bedrock? Is anything true? Is there anything that ties together all of these things that I'm talking about? Does anything tie together our loneliness, people's greed, depression, stress, crime, drugs? All the th these are all the symptoms. These are symptoms. These are outward symptoms. But there's something much worse going on. This passage is screaming, yes, there is truth that God is here, that God is not silent. It's, he's screaming through providence. He's screaming through how your life is unraveling. He's screaming through time and through creation. That's what we just read, that all know that there's God, that he has revealed his invisible attributes through his visible creation. There's a psalm, and I know Dylan knows this psalm because he's in seminary studying the psalms. And there's this psalm that beautifully describes what's called general revelation and special revelation. It's Psalm 19, and we should have the words on the screen. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse, that's, the, that's space and the stars and all that, proclaims the works of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech there are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running its course. It rises from one end of heaven and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the experience wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, 
enduring forever. Amen? What's, what's this psalm saying? What is this psalm? This psalm, right, which is a psalm of David, and we're talking, we're talking 3,000 years ago, right? We are talking, a guy is writing a song, looking at nature, and thinking about how God reveals himself in two ways. And the one way is just look around everywhere. <laughs> what's behind this big, beautiful, powerful world? Something bigger something more powerful and something more beautiful. But then the psalmist continues on and says, it is the law of God. It is his words that actually teach me about what he's like. It, it is God's truth. He, he spoke to us, and this is how we know him. In verses, so, so what we see here is that Nature is revealing who God is. And every grown person, every person with the capacity to make a decision between right and wrong is accountable to this creator. But what has happened? What has happened? We read this picture, we read this passage about the wrath of God. It's a pastor named John Stott. He said, the wrath of God then is almost totally different from human anger. It doesn't mean that God loses his temper, flies into a rage, or is ever malicious, spiteful, or vindictive. The alternative to wrath is not love, but neutrality in a moral conflict. And God is not neutral. On the contrary, his worth is his holy hostility to evil. His refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his judgment upon it. Do you hear what I'm saying? So God is not like us when our kids keep knocking the water all over the place. <laughs> And like can't figure out, and they just repeatedly do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And then what do we do? We just blow up in anger, right? We 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 ignore it because we're just like you're inconveniencing me. And then we finally just let loose, and we're malicious sometimes. We're spiteful sometimes. People do stuff to us, and we're like we want the same thing or ten times worse to happen to them. But this is how God is like. God can't just be Santa Claus in heaven. <laughs> Everybody's on the good list. God sees injustice in the world, and his only response is wrath. When he sees what's going on, when he sees people abandoning their children, when he sees people stealing and robbing from their family, when he sees people hurting and each other. God is not neutral about it. He would cease to be God, and in fact, he'd cease to be good. You can't have a good God that just looks at this world, says nothing, does nothing, and thinks nothing about it. God sees you. He sees this world, and the word of God says that there is wrath there. Now, now, morality is extremely complex, right? What is good, what is bad. It is situational. It is bound by a certain context. 
And I don't always know what people mean when they say absolute truth, right? It might be right for me after a long weekend of barely being home and doing ministry because, you know, the ministry's weekend heavy, right? And I get home late, and my wife's been with my kids this whole time. They're driving her crazy, them cra- her crazy right? <laughs> it, it might be fine for me to go crack a beer open, right? And for someone here, it might be the beginning of sliding down to hell, right? Morality is not the same for all of us. In some cultures, when we have that time where we greet each other, there are certain churches where, you know, like in our church, we hug each other, the men hug the women, women hug the men, we all hug each other. And there are some cultures where that doesn't communicate, hey, we're family. That communicates something else. And you just can't. You hear what I'm saying? So morality is bound to something. It is, it is relative and bound to certain things. But you and your culture are not the only considerations for what is right and wrong. See, you live in a world inhabited by more people than just you, and the way you live affects the people around you. Not only that, you are a created thing. You were created, and you have a relationship with the one who created you. And how you live affects not only you and the people around you, but affects your creator. And so we have, so, you know, morality is complex, and yet at the same time, how we live matters at every point. How we live matters. Let me get, like, give you like a picture of this. I, uh, one of my favorite bands, you know, if you've been around for a while, is Metallica. Here's the chorus to Injustice for All. I know you've been waiting for this moment. This moment is exciting to everyone, actually only to me, but that's okay. (laughs) Justice is lost. Justice is raped. Justice is gone. Pulling your strings, justice is done. Seeking no truth, winning is all. Finding it grim, so true, so real. Now, that's an admission looking into the dark that it seems like the only thing that matters is winning. And it seems like there is no justice. There is just the strong and the weak. But underneath all of that, underneath all of that bleakness, there's actually a thirst for justice still. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a, this is a lament. This is not a celebration. Now, let me read f- for you the words of Hocus Pocus, Sane Clown Posse. Climb aboard our magic train and join us inside. Hocus Pocus, joke or ride. Come and take a spin on the carny ride. 52 villains, villains hammered down. The show must go on. Hocus Pocus, joker's ride. Come and take a spin on the carny ride. Giant ladies, bearded ladies, midget ladies, ladies. Hocus Pocus, joker ride. Come and spin on the carny ride. 
clouds of darkness, and underneath them comes the cloud. Hocus pocus, joker ride. Come and take a spin on the carny ride. F that. <laughs> What's the difference? The difference is huge. There's a lament. That only thing that matters, it seems, is that the strong are over the weak. And the second song is a celebration. Well, guess what? We'll be the strong. Nothing matters. Nothing matters, so let's be the bullies, right? Nothing matters, so let's just live however we want. And, and there's a huge, huge difference how you live matters. You are a created being in a relationship with others and your creator. We did this book study a while ago on worry. And we learned, as Tony Evans says, that worry is concern on steroids. So in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, by the way, the New Testament is just all the writings about Jesus that were written by his followers. The Bible split up into two books. And all the New Testament was written during a time when everybody spoke Greek, or the most amount of people spoke Greek. So to spread this word far and wide, they wrote it in Greek. And the word that they used is better translated into English as over-concern. That's what anxiety is. That's what worry is. It's being over-concern. But here is a thing. You cannot be over-concerned by what we see in verse 18 about the wrath of God coming and being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And the reason that Paul splits this up is because unrighteousness is about how we deal with our brothers and sisters, how we are dealing with those around us, our horizontal relationship. But godliness, and it's opposite of that ungodliness is how we deal with God and I know that a lot of times we like to try to pick one or the other and we're going to be all about how we take care of people how we care about racism how we care about injustice how we care about the weak being trampled upon by the strong and then we've got other people who are like all that matters is that you live a moral and pure life and that you pray and, and, and that your spirit is open to the things of God. And the thing is, Jesus cared about both, and we have to care about both. And the thing is, is that God's wrath has come down and been pronounced on us because we've struggled with both. We've struggled with both. The great commandment is this, to love God and to love our neighbors. And you know what? We have all broken the greatest commandment. We have all fallen short of loving each other. And we've all come short of loving God. And this has put us in a situation. Now, what we see here in the wrath of God is what theologians call, those who study the Bible, they call it the abandoning wrath of God. So God's wrath can be described in many different ways and operate in many different ways. But here, what we see is a picture of God just lifting his hand off the world. 
It's not him punishing the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not, it's, it's just you live with your con- the consequences of your choices. It's just I'm going to let you do what you want. And what does it say? It describes these three things that happen to us. It describes our hearts becoming darkened. It describes our bodies being disgraced. It describes our bodies being degraded. And it describes our minds becoming futile. And as I say that, I know that there are people in this room that are like, yep, I have been through that process. (laughs) I know what it's like to have my heart dark, my mind not work, and my body degraded. I know what you're talking about, Pastor. But here's the thing. God in the business of healing and renewing our minds our bodies, bringing dignity back to our bodies, bringing usefulness back to our minds, and bringing light into our dark hearts and changing us. See, here's, here's like the, the chicken and the egg situation. When we live on our own, And we say, like Adam and Eve, we say, you know, we're going to do our own thing. We want to know stuff you won't tell us. So we're just going to go about it the way we want. What ends up happening to us is that God then can remove his hand from us and the restraint from us. And then we start to free fall in our bodies and our minds. And our hearts no longer are ours to control. They get beat up and abused by everybody around us. We offer them up for free practically. We offer them up and, and we start to lose a grip on the fact that God has given us more than the five senses that we always talk about, right? We always talk about the five senses, and some of us are like, you know what, this God thing is great, but I like to, I'm a materialist, and I like whatever I can measure, whatever I can see, whatever I can touch, whatever I can taste, hear, and smell. And here's the thing, you were born with seven senses. You were born with the thing that we call a conscious. You were born with the ability tell right from wrong and you were born with a thing called reason (laughs) and in fact your ability to determine what's right and what's wrong is as real and as important as your ability to smell taste feel and touch but what happens is we this is why i mean there's a downward spiral we actually begin to kind of stiff arm God, and then our ability, our very ability to judge what's right and wrong, we lose it. It's like we always go to the gym and it's always leg day, but we never do any other thing in the gym. So we walk around and we got these thick calves, right? But our upper body is like body of an 11-year-old. And that's what happens when we ignore 
our ability to reason when we just say it just doesn't matter unless I can taste, touch, see, smell, and feel it. Or it doesn't, or, or, or we say, oh, I have these promptings, these things are right and wrong. That's all messed up because I came from this family where they put all this pressure on me and made me feel like this was right and wrong, and now I don't have a compass, and I don't know north, south, and east from west. So this is where we are. This is where we are. We see in this passage that Paul says that we suppress the knowledge, of, the truth of the knowledge of God. And, and, and it's been described like this, like a bunch of people at a lake. You ever see those overstuffed, um, those oversized beach balls, giant, giant beach balls? And so you get like four or five people and you're at the lake and you're trying to push that thing down. <laughs> and you might, with a lot of effort, and a, and a bunch of friends, you might be able to push that thing down under the water, but eventually what happens? Someone sneezes, someone moves or whatever, and it pops back up somewhere else. And that's what it's like. We're trying to suppress the knowledge of God, and yet the knowledge of God is being revealed all the time through creation. And it's being revealed through people telling you about them. And it's being revealed through the circumstances of your life. And the ball just keeps popping up left and right. And you're like, I feel bad about certain things. I don't know why. And what that is is your conscience is starting to wake up again. And you're starting to think again. And God is renewing you. But then you go and you like slam that beach ball back down under the water because you know if God is real I gotta change everything I'm doing I gotta change my whole life so what can happen to help us what can break into our hearts I know it's like man this is a depressing sermon you're talking about the wrath of God you're saying our minds are messed up our bodies are degraded our hearts are darkened What can help us? What can help us break out of all of this? What can bring back dignity to our disgraced bodies? What can bring out sanity to our narcissistic, disturbed minds? What can do it? Verses 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For it, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen? Amen. So what is this? Let me just break this down. He says, it is... The power of God. The good news is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not a talk but of power. It's not just a bunch of debates about religion, but it's something that makes people new. It sets them free from what they're doing, and it allows them to have joy when there was hopelessness. allows them to be a part of family when they were isolated and alone. It brings them into this family that lasts forever. So a bunch of guys... A bunch of us guys from the church, we were up in the mountains, and maybe they don't want me to tell you this because it's not exactly politically correct, but we were out there in the mountains, and we went and we shot some guns, and it was really fun. 
okay? And we, we, we had, we, um, the, 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 the most fun was with a, a Glock, right? It's, that was the most fun for me anyway. And I'll tell you what, when you're holding both hands and you, you're pointing out, Dylan's like, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> you're found. You're caught. Exposed. Anyway, we, we held the gun out, right? And shoot it, right? And there's this big kickback. There's a difference. The Greek here for power of God, that the good news is the power of God, is the word dynamo, which we get the word dynamite from. And there's a difference between shooting a cap gun and shooting a Glock. <laughs> it is the power of God in people's life for salvation, right? For salvation. We see that in our head and our body and our mind. This is what the good news is. It is God saving us from God's wrath. And if you're hearing that, and that sounds crazy to you, listen to me. God cannot, he cannot but be angry with sin in us. We have become toxic by the things we think, by the stuff in our hearts, by what we do with our hands and our feet, right? We become toxic to him. So he cannot be in the presence. We can't be together. We're separated. We're lost. He has to remove his hand. We're under his wrath. And yet at the same time, he doesn't want any single person to be lost. He doesn't want anyone jacked up and have their lives blowing up and to be lost and to be alone. So what has he done? This is the good news. He sent his son and Jesus fought the fight that you never could have and you never could have won. He fought that fight on the cross. He died for you. If, if, if God's wrath were in a big, big jug, like the kind that you get from Dunkin' Donuts, who needs 32 ounces for coffee? But if it was filled up with God's anger, Jesus drank every single ounce of it on the cross for you. And he's not angry with you anymore. He swallowed all of it. And he loves you. And that's the good news. That's the power of the gospel. And it's to all. But he says, he says, to the Gentile, the nations, the Greeks, and to the Jews. It's for everybody. See, this gospel is unlimited, but we, we limit it. We limit it. We limit it by different ways. You know one way we limit it? We say, you know, we say, well, I'm not good enough. You don't know what I've done, right? Another thing we say is, oh, I'm good. I don't need that. Didn't need God to die for me. That sounds pretty dramatic. I might be messed up, but not that messed up. You know what I'm saying? And, and here's another thing that we may say. Oh, pastor, I'm Methodist. Oh, pastor, I'm Catholic. Oh, I'm this or that. And I'll tell you right now, I see Monsignor Hodge all the time. I meet with Ed Rusk, you know, at the Methodist church. Whatever. We can all sit together and sit down. I have friends who tell me this who are struggling, right? They're drinking. They're getting violent with the women they're living with. 
they're going through it, and they'll tell me stuff like, but pastor, I'm Catholic. Listen to me. We can all sit down. Me, Monsignor, you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble whatever label you want to put on it. Your religious history is not going to hide you from your need of God. Don't use religion to hide from the Lord. Don't use the, I was born this or that, and then you never follow through, and you're not a part of anything. Don't hide behind religion. God's religion is this. It's, it's in your heart. It's in your soul. It's something that changes you. It's something that you're not just going to talk about, but you're going to be about it all the time because it is the power some of us have experienced cap gun religion. <laughs> That's all we've allowed God in our lives for. Because the real thing is scary. <laughs> and it demands all of us. Everything from us. But here's the last thing about this. The power of God for all. For all means, brothers and sisters, for all means that we are gonna be holding the door at Epiphany. We're gonna be holding the door open to those who hurt us. There are people that have been here for months and who we've helped and who we've gotten work for and who we've helped with rent and who we've walked deep in life with and now they walk around the streets and threaten people's lives and are blasting folks and aren't right in the mind anymore and they're going back and they're in the drugs again. And guess what? It means we're holding the door open and there's no one that we will look at and say, you know what, too far, you went too far, you're too far gone. No, the gospel is for all. And I don't care how far you've gone. And at Epiphany Church, we will always give another chance. Do you hear me? I don't care. Now we have to go to God and say, God, heal me because those wounds are real. We walk with people hard and then they ghost out on us. And I know more than most anybody here about that. But God can heal us to that and fill us up to love again. The people who've hurt us the most. You hear me? But it also means holding up the door to the self-sufficient, to the one who thinks I don't need this to the one who thinks my kids are in like a million sports programs. You know what, I got a job, my lawn is fine, I'm doing good. Now my cousins were like, they had a lawn like the Dukes of Hazard, right? They were always working on cars. There was all types of cars in their lawn. It was ridiculous. And some people's lives, their problems are obvious, but other people's lives, they hide it real well. But the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of every single person, whether you're in our face or whether they're in the basement. And nobody knows about your issues. Let me pray for us. God, as we hold the door open to all, as we believe in your power, Lord, as we believe in your gospel, Lord, please set us free from the things that so easily hold us back and tear us down. Lord, I pray for every single person here. I pray, Father, for those listening who will listen later this week, for those who are watching on YouTube now. God, for everyone in our community, we pray, Father, that you would heal us of our darkened hearts and our futile minds 
and our degraded and disgraced bodies. Lord, thank you that the gospel for all means we don't stand saying, well, we are the sons of light and they are that. No, we all mark ourselves in the column of we needed your grace. And we have no reason to judge anybody. Lord, please fill us with your love, we pray. Amen.